The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to Circling the Bases, a podcast from NBC Sports Edge. I am Chris Crawford and I host this podcast every Thursday morning and I bring on some fine folks from around the baseball industry to talk all things fantasy baseball and more. I want to thank everybody who's joining us live, be it on YouTube or Twitch. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate the questions that have come in while we're doing these things live. I'll remind everybody we go live Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, Tuesday and Wednesday. Unfortunately, you have to see my mug. Uh, and then on Thursday, you get to see uh, Drew and DJ's uh, much better looking bugs, I have to say. Uh, 7, 8, 7 Eastern for Tuesday and Wednesday and 9 p.m. on Thursday. But it's been a lot of fun and we really appreciate you hanging out. And we thank you for enjoying the show, however you're enjoying it. Let's not waste any time. I want to bring in my guest. Uh, he currently co-hosts the Dome and Bedlam podcast. He's written for places like Baseball Prospectus, ASB Nation, and many more Please welcome my good friend, Nathan Bishop. Nathan, how are we doing today? Chris, I am uh, inside and trying to avoid our oncoming uh, heat apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. I'm... So so for those of you who don't know, Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, which we both live in, is about to get a uh, not good. A, we, I believe the last time I checked Sunday, where they're projecting 106. And before any of you complain and say, oh, you think that's hot, it's 115 in Phoenix, you think that's hot, it's 118 in Las Vegas. We don't live in Phoenix and Las Vegas for a reason. We, we ain't can, built for we, this. We live in this area, a large part of it, because we don't have to deal with heat like that. It is going to be absolutely unbearable. I'm so glad I'm not posting this podcast over the weekend because I would have been miserable and probably would have said a swear word and gotten fired. I'm just, uh, just being completely honest with you. That, Nobody that, that. Yeah, man. It's, 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 are you prepared for it? Uh, I've, uh, I'm actually scheduled to go camping this weekend. So oh, we're going to see how that goes, baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, supposedly my, my site has shade. Uh, the good news is that at nighttime, the uh, heat will not hold the tent will not hold any heat in, but gotcha. uh, we'll see if I do it. We'll see if I last more than one night. Uh, it's going to be something else. And like you said, it's not that it, doesn't get hotter in other places but we are not built for this out here no. so uh we come here because we like it to be between 50 degrees and 75 degrees at oh. all times the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 50 degrees sounds so good right now. Give me, like give the, me the fall right now, baby. Yeah, 50 degrees, a, a nice, crisp September 15th day. That's exactly Just right. sounds wonderful. So since we're talking about Seattle... Nathan, you may know this and you may not, but I had a a, a ten part series on St. Louis pizza, and I had some very, um, for lack of a better term, famous people on the show talking about it. I had Keith Law, I had David Roth, I had Kyla McDaniel's Suspense Family Barbecue. I won't ask you about St. Louis pizza because it's bad, but mm-hmm. like all things from St. Louis, yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Let's talk about Seattle pizza. And my question for you is, is Seattle pizza a thing? Uh, I don't think it really is. I I I think think that in Seattle, our culinary contribution is all about the fresh seafood that we get up here and our access to fresh produce. I think our pizza is much more of an aspirational, like we're just going to try to kind of hodgepodge the best of from around the country, which is why we don't have St. Louis pizza out here because it's bad. (laughs) <laughs> so and it's why we don't have deep dish because that's also yeah. trash i yeah. think primarily we gravitate towards the new york style um foldable pizza slice if best at best um but yeah mostly we're just we're not really a pizza town we have higher aspirations baby give me that give me that fresh caught fish <laughs> give me that shellfish that's kind of our bag i think that's fair to say and i will say there are some good pizza places around here like tom douglas has a couple of good places yep. serious um, pie serious pie is very good uh I will say that our pizza is overpriced for sure. I Absolutely. Mean, like like the, the everything here, unfortunately, is overpriced. I love Seattle so much. But every time I go there, to say I get sticker shock, and I shouldn't get sticker shock because I've been doing it for close to 38 years. But every right. time I go to get something to eat, I just think, oh, my gosh. And that's coming from someone who lived in San Diego for a couple of years. Oh, like, yeah. So I've, I've dealt with uh, the nice thing about living in uh, – the area that I live is there's much less sticker shock going on. And, uh, yeah. 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 One of the things about eating out in Seattle as a, as a father and husband, I have a family of four essentially. And it, it's always fun when we go out for a day to Seattle because it kind of feels like the choice of like, okay, so we're going to make the car payment this month or we're going to go have a day out in Seattle because oh, you get out man. there and you sit down and it's like, I'd like a slice of combo. And they're like, okay, that's going to be $12. And it's like, okay, can, can I have a, a soda? Sure. Seven more dollars. And it's just, yeah. it just goes from there. So I, I, I hear you, man. We both live in places that have a little bit less cost of living than Seattle for a very good reason. I will say this, that there was a time where, so I used to live in Olympia, which was, yeah, it's about a, an hour drive just to round it up. And whenever we went to Mariner games, we would basically hide as much food as possible in our pockets and in our stuff like that, because you didn't even paying for stuff at the old kingdom was like $6 for nachos. Who's going to do something? Catch me with my dollar peanuts that I buy. (laughs) I buy about five of those on the way in from the vendor outside. 
exactly. we're good to go, man. Yes, That's exactly yeah. right. And then we're, yeah. we'll also do what is it? We'll we'll ferry over because they uh-huh. only charge you for the car on the ferry over there. But then when you come back, they charge you per passenger coming back. So screw that, man. We're taking the fife. <laughs> we're sitting there in traffic for two hours. It doesn't matter. Dad's saving 20 bucks, baby. Oh, nostalgic. So since you brought up vendors, too, the one kind of Seattle food that I think gets underrated, but honestly, some people might view it in that Seattle pizza way. What do you think of Seattle dogs? So I'm pro- um, I think that I'm non-judgmentally pro. There's certain foods that I like where I can, if I kind of feel like if you don't like it, like there's something wrong with you and yeah. we probably shouldn't associate with each other, but yeah. I can see why the, the Seattle hot dog is a divisive thing just because cream cheese by itself is already kind of like a, a divisive so explain, condiment. Explain what a Seattle dog is for those of those people who are not familiar. With so basically you're going to take your normal beef Frank and you're going to slap a lot of cream cheese on that bad boy. Uh, and then you're going to put some sauteed onions on there as well. And then there are various fixings that you can add onto there. I've seen like some diced tomatoes. I've seen all sorts of other exotic toppings, but mainly you want the onion and the cream cheese in my experience. And I think it gives you a really nice kind of, especially if you make the cream cheese fresh, you get kind of a hot and cold yes. um, heat combination. And then the sauteed onions, the caramelization there just mm. really ties it together. I think it's a really nice treat on a hot day. Um, it's my go-to hot weather hot dog, nice. um, but I do get why people don't like it. The texture is yeah. not for everyone. No, it is not. And I, <clears throat> my preferred way is to go with a, like a nice spicy dog, like a nice, mm. like the beef. Um, and then uh, you got that cream cheese. And then if you have put some sauerkraut on there, I will be mm-hmm. in absolute heaven, like sauerkraut and, and those caramelized onions. Uh, but again, if you're not a fan of cream cheese, and I get it because the texture of cream cheese is just not for any, everybody. Sure. Um, but I will say that what we just described sounds a lot better than nacho I, pizza. Absolutely. And I would say, too, <laughs> if you're in our area and you're now that we've got the minor league season going, you're ever in Tacoma to watch a Rainier's game, get down to the Red Hot. Um, yes. which they actually, uh, it's a fantastic gourmet hot dog spot. They will do. The Seattle, you, if you want to know if you like a Seattle style hot dog, have it at the Red Hot because that's about as good as it's going to get. So yeah. if you, if you uh, don't like that, you officially don't like the Seattle style hot dog, but you'll be yes. fine because you also have about 30 taps of great craft beer. So yeah. go check out the Red Hot in Tacoma. It is one of my favorite somewhat local haunts, and I just yep. used a, a nice vocabulary word. So since we were talking about Seattle, let's talk about the Mariners because it's oh. a, it's <laughs> it's something that we have been um, – Cursed and blessed with. Uh, I, I'll ask you this, Nathan, and I'm sorry that you may need to think about this one for just a little bit because I didn't um, put it on your prep guide. But wh- how would you describe being a Seattle Mariner fan? Wow, that is a great question. Um, I'm going to refer to, I think, the definitive. If I were going to introduce Seattle Mariner fandom to anybody, we're so fortunate as a fan base uh, in this way that I could just hand them the, if there was such thing as a physical copy, the six-part John Boyce documentary and Al- Alex Rubenstein documentary on the Seattle Mariners that just got released last year on YouTube. Um, if anybody for some reason is interested in what it's like to be a Mariners fan who isn't already a Mariners fan, go watch that. Uh, it'll give you a really good intro. But uh, the long story short is that it's a really odd dichotomy, Chris, because obviously this is uh, I mean, to be blunt, we're, this is the most failure-ridden organization in Major League Baseball. Uh, they are the only team to never make the World Series. They have not made the playoffs since 2001. It's the longest playoff absence in Major North American sports. But it's juxtaposed against uh, us getting to experience some of the most iconic 
major league baseball players of all time in the yeah. 150 year history of the sport playing right. their prime out in front of us with Ken Griffey Jr. and Ichiro and Randy Johnson and Alex Rodriguez and Edgar Martinez. I mean, in it, the, the forest is, is real bad, but you know, up close, there's some beautiful trees in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really nice way to put it. I will say, um, I brought this up with David Roth when we were talking about what it was like being a Mets fan. And I think the Mets and Mariner fanhood is kind of similar um, just because there's been so much good mixed in with so much crap. And I wouldn't sure. change any of it. But what I always come back to is I was watching an episode of The Simpsons and it was the episode where uh, Homer and his dad are selling they're selling selling pills to basically make your love life better. And mm-hmm. in that episode, Homer, um, it has nothing to do. I promise you being a Mariner fan has nothing to do with that. Um, but in that episode, Homer gets in a fight not. with yeah, Homer gets in a fight with his dad and uh, he finds a picture of his dad dressed as Santa Claus and he realizes, oh, his dad has been Santa Claus. That's a very common sitcom trope. But right. what happens is is he finds the picture, he says, Oh, this photo brings me peace. And immediately the photo sets on fire and so does the house. <laughs> and I think that's the best way to describe being a Mariner fan is that anytime you get nostalgic about how like great it was to get to watch King Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Randy Johnson, and Edgar Martinez, those those four. Those were a big part of our childhood, Nathan. Yes. Anytime you begin to think about that, you immediately think, holy crap, we wasted that. We yep. had we had that, and nothing came of it but coming two games away from winning, go, getting to a World Series. Never closer than that. And what? Go no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and hilariously, in Seattle Mariners fashion, they um, slowly – and systematically ended up some combination of alienating or cheaping out on almost all of that core, which right. resulted in three consecutive off seasons, them losing Randy Johnson, who's arguably the greatest left hand, probably the greatest left-handed pitcher to ever live. Ken right. Griffey Jr. Who is uh, Ken Griffey Jr. And then right. Alex Rodriguez, who is um, for my money, the best baseball player to ever wear a Seattle Mariners uniform. Uh, and then they stumble into 2001 where somehow literally, you know, that thing where like a fan will do, they'll make a fantasy uh, lineup that, that they'll project and it'll be like, look, look at how great this lineup is. And if every single player has a career year, they're going to be amazing. Well, that actually happened in 2001. The Mariners right. had a group of good to above average to Ichiro players who all went bananas in a single season and won 116 games. And then sure enough, their defining memory is that they're the team with the most wins in the history of Major League Baseball who didn't even make it to the World Series, bounced yeah. out in six games by the New York Yankees, the bane of my existence. So, yeah. yes, for uh, <laughs> for every positive action, there has been uh, at least an, op- uh, an opposite reaction of negative and often far more negative. Yeah, I mean, look, it it is – Unlike any fan base that you can be a fan of, I'll say that. And I, I can't say for sure that it's the worst just because I've only experienced being a fan of this organization, but I can't imagine being worse. Um, so the Mariners have been actually pretty good this year. And I'll say this, Nathan and I uh, do a, a radio show on, in KJR every other Monday. We call it Molly Watt Mondays for reasons that are too long to explain on uh, this podcast, but Mariners just lost uh, Wednesday. Uh, they're 39 and 36. 
they are relatively within striking distance. Has this been, has this year been fun for you to watch Nathan? Yes. I think that you kind of hinted at it just now leading into this, this segue here about how the experience of watching the Mariners is so different and rooting for this team, because at this point, everything that's happening with the 2021 Mariners is caring for a fan who's been here this entire time is carrying 20 years of baggage behind it. So it's almost like this little garbage scow that's hauling this giant mass of trash through the water. And it's just every single movement it makes is making all of these wakes and all of this mess because it's got all of this stuff tied behind it. So yeah, I am enjoying watching this team. They are definitely over improving they've got strong 2016 ranger vibes with this idea of i mean i think their run differential is something like negative 48 now yeah. and they're two games over 500 after the loss today i think Three um games, but yeah i think yeah sorry um uh, you, you know really what it comes down to chris i think it it's the experience of watching this team has reacquainted me with how much i love the game of baseball and how much I love watching players play it because everything sure. not about this roster that touches this organization makes me want to vomit. Yeah. I mean, management, uh, ownership, every single off the field thing about this team is disgusting. And yet you have this group of guys here who by all, I mean, their Pythagorean, their Pythagorean record is something like 33 and 42 coming into today. They should be bad. Yeah. Um, they're not a very talented team, but for better or worse, these guys, they have just found a way. I think they're 16 and seven in one run games. I mean, in all of the highly dramatic and enjoyable ways, this team has been a really fun team to watch for in one way or another. I'm still not really sure how they're doing it. Absolutely. I, look, the thing about it is it's, it's been fun to watch. I've talked about this kind of before, but my, my Mariner fanhood is basically vicariously through my grandma. I just want him to be good for grandma. Right. Um, and while I don't think any of this is sustainable, it has been fun to see them being competitive in games. Uh, one person I think may be sustainable, what we're seeing right now, is J.P. Crawford. And Crawford went two for four today, scored a run, hit his 18th double. He's hitting 284, 342, 407 on the year. Those numbers really aren't indicative of how good he's been as of late. Um, I am buying into J.P. Crawford going forward. Are you? I think I am for the kind of line that he's running right now, that season-long line that you're talking about. I think sure. that's the kind of player he can be this year and moving forward. I think he's that player as opposed to, you know, it's so exciting to project, especially a guy like Crawford, <clears throat> who you and I have talked, a former arguable number one overall prospect in baseball. There's always that dream of untapped ceiling there and you're hoping you can get like a Fernan um a francisco lindor light kind of guy out of here right. i don't think that and that's who he's played like in june he, i mean he's been crazy this month i right. think we need to when we say what we're buying into i'm buying into him as an above average major league shortstop who works the count who can be a quality leadoff hitter for a team that desperately needs dependable offensive guys that can work counts and get on the base and play a quality shortstop. Now, is he elite at shortstop? You and I have had this conversation before as well. I don't think he really is, but that's not really anything that he should feel bad about. Um, shortstops are the most athletic and elite defenders in the sport of baseball. So when we say he's an average-ish defensive major league shortstop, that's a really valuable skill set to have. So I'm buying in for him as like a two and a half to three and a half win shortstop moving forward. And if there's more there, that's great. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'll say this for, for the fantasy purposes, I'm buying into Crawford for the rest of the year. I like that he's going yeah. to be hitting at the top of the lineup. 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit about a guy who was hitting at the top of the lineup in the second half of the show. But I, I think that this is Crawford's spot. Um, I think he's going to get on base. I think the Mariner lineup is just good enough that he's going to score runs. Um, long term, I do wonder if maybe he's a second baseman. Just because J.P. Crawford is not a real – I mean, he's not a big guy, but he's not diminutive either. And he's going to lose some speed. And I think – Second base is probably where he's going to play. I think that drops his value considerably for fantasy purposes because, sure. you know, like you can you can find um, just a, a lot of guys who kind of put up these type of numbers at second base. Even as, as as top heavy as shortstop is, like there's there's a middle ground there that I think Crawford is very valuable in terms of fantasy at that shortstop position. But uh, but yeah, that'll be uh, an interesting uh, decision that the Mariners have to make because. Uh, as they are going forward, you know, shortstop's a very, very valuable position. And it, I think that's one of the things that Jerry DePoto is going to have to figure out is whether or not this is the shortstop you want to build around for a championship contender. And particularly given two things. One, uh, we've got a historic free agent class of shortstops coming up this right. offseason, coupled right at a time when this fan base and the, uh, everyone around this organization is about ready to mob T-Mobile Park if the Mariners ownership doesn't do in a Morton Joe and like finally crank the lever that like finally lets a little water out in this case, free agency money come out pouring all over us because right. we are so ready for this team to spend some money. They've been doing nothing but trimming payroll by and large since 2018. Um, actually really, I would, you could argue since Jerry DePoto got here, they haven't really added any payroll and done nothing but right. shed it. So it's time for this team to be active in free agency and timing it right when we've got Trevor story, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and these other guys like, it's it's really it's an interesting it's a it's for once as a Mariners fan a good problem to have right. as opposed absolutely. to the other kind which we're far better acquainted with. Absolutely. So before we get into the second half of our show, I do have a special offer for our listeners. If you use promo code Basis Ten, you can get ten percent off any premium subscription for NBC Sports Edge Plus. You can use it monthly, you can use it annually, and it can be used for any tier. So not only do you get access to the baseball season tools, but your subscription also covers NBA, Save Our Sonics, NHL, Go Kraken, and NFL. Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in football. So it's a great value, and it can help you if you play baseball or if you hand in all sports. So just remember, promo code BASIS10, and you can go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash premium to get started. Also, make sure you're checking out the new NBC Sports Edge app. Clean new look, fantastic information, the ability to customize that information, which is awesome. And again, useful in all sports. All you got to do is search for NBC Sports Edge in either the Apple Store or the Google Play App Store. So we talked a little bit about the leadoff spot. And the guy who was hitting in that spot a little bit when he got called up was Jared Kelnick. Uh, Kelnick was awful. There's no way to go anywhere around this. And I do think that it's interesting talking about Kelnick for a couple of reasons. One, because... It's a small sample, but it was really bad. And two, you can't help but keep in mind the Mariners' history outside of a couple of guys that we talked about earlier in the show. Sure. There, there's a history here of – and you can't help but wonder if this is another one of those guys. Nathan, long term, how concerned are you about Jared Kelman? Uh It's so funny, Chris, because uh, – 
participating in the Seattle Mariners discourse, both on and offline, uh, a huge thing that people will say to rally to the Mariners defense of where they are now moving forward is that they've never done a rebuild before, blah, 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 blah. And I'm always like, look, guys, I'm almost 40 years old. I guarantee you that they have done a rebuild before. And that's part of the reason why I'm terrified right now, because I've seen them happen before. I remember Justin Smoke and Dustin Ackley and Jesus Montero. But none of those guys should carry the baggage, should be attached to Jared Kelenic. And so he's no. his own unique player. He's his own unique story. And so he's not doomed to that kind of failure. I think the thing, I'm not worried about the flame out when he first came up. Um, I, I think going, I think he ended up going something 0 for 35 or something before they sent him down. It was something right just, just yeah. atrocious. Um, but I do think that there's reasons that you can look into that to think, you know, it was only towards the very end where you saw him really noticeably struggling. He had some <laughs> rotten luck coming up. Um, I'm a little more concerned that he seems to still be kind of struggling a little bit down in AAA right now, but you know, you're more of a scouting acumen man than I am. You talk to more scouts than I do, but everything I've seen from this guy, everything I see from the swing and everything I hear about his mindset is that this is a guy who should be able to wear the, the long story short, Chris, this is a guy that has literally never struggled in his baseball career ever, right. ever. Right. He's been the best player on every team he's ever been on. Now he's struggling for the very first time. And there's no way to simulate that. It happens to every single player at every single in every single career. And so now he's got to figure out what the, the way is out there. I think the question is less. Do I think he's going to come back and be a quality major leaguer, which I think is close to a guarantee um, as opposed to, is he going to be this elite superstar talent that can be a, a franchise fixture, which this franchise needs a new superstar in the absolute worst way. That's been the one thing like we've already talked about that's carried this fan base through losing season after losing season. So he, I'm really hopeful that we at least get an above average major leaguer here, but um, he's still so young. He's 21 years old. I mean, I think he's got plenty of time. We just saw, uh, and this is a different thing and he was doing this at the major league level, but we're in the third season now of Vlad jr. Before he's really, taken off and fulfilled and this is arguably the greatest hitting prospect of the last 10 15 years right um so i mean it takes a while for these guys sometimes they're not all we got so spoiled with uh bryce harper juan soto mike trout and all these other guys that made these huge impacts at 19 and 20 years old so we got to let these guys breathe a little bit man yeah absolutely i'm glad you brought up trout too because look trout's first taste of major league baseball was abhorrent i mean he really really struggled um, I'm not concerned about Jared Kelnick long-term at all. Um, baseball's hard. The only thing that I'm concerned about really was I would have left him in Seattle because you have mm-hmm. to, unless there's something specific that they're working on him that could only be done in AAA. And if there's that thing, I don't know what it is, but you know, I, I'm not the Mariner player development system. So sure. unless there's something that specifically he's working on down there, I would have left him up because of what you just brought up that you cannot simulate major league pitching. It is so good right now. Yep. And take those lumps. Look, I know that he was hurting the Mariners quite a bit and, and the Mariners might pretend to be a contender right now, but no, they're not like, this is a, a t- the perfect type of year to have a young player go through these type of struggles. Uh, Andrew Kim on YouTube asks, will Julio Rodriguez be called up this season anytime soon? Or will it be a September call? I don't think you see Rodriguez called up this year. I, I The fact he's already only in high A, uh, I've, I've talked to some folks about why he's in high A. The Mariners want to keep all of their young, talented prospects at the same level right now and don't feel like some of those guys are quite ready for double A. 
it, it's kind of nonsense to me, but I, I, at the same time, I kind of get it with Rodriguez. It doesn't matter what level that guy's at. This is, and look, I'll say this too. I think Jared Kelnick is the better real life prospect. Starting to think that Julio Rodriguez might be the better fantasy prospect, just because this is a guy who, if everything maxes out, we're talking about 70 hits, 70 power. And yep. as good as Jared Kelnick is, I don't think he's reaching that. But uh, but long-term, both of these guys, I think, are going to be um, outstanding fantasy baseball players. And I just hope, look, if Jared Kelnick gets that call-up, I absolutely, it, from the fantasy perspective, I'm rushing to go add him to my roster. Because, again, this is a five-category helper. He's a guy who can hit for average, he can hit for power, he can steal bases. And I would guess the Mariners aren't hitting him eighth or ninth when they call him up. I would imagine that he's hitting, you know, fifth or sixth and getting a chance to drive in some runs and a decent chance to score some runs, although the Mariner lineup is as top-heavy, I think, as any lineup in baseball right now. You're not believing in Luis Torrens' DH? Uh, yeah. That, can I'm I mark not... you down for that? <laughs> you can go ahead and mark me okay. down. I'll mark you and down I'll... for that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another guy I just wanted to talk about real quick, and uh, then we're going to get into our draft, is uh, Cal Rowley, uh, a guy that... Um, well, you, you brought up Luis Torrens and Tom Murphy and Jose Godoy forming just a really, really bad catching uh, yes. triangle. Cerberus, you, but make it crap. Yeah. And then you've got a guy like Cal Rowley who just had a 24-hit ga- game-hitting streak strapped, uh, has hit for average, has hit for power, is a decent defender behind the plate. You think we're seeing Cal Rowley pretty soon? I think we have to, right? I mean, um, I don't think it even really matters what the team does moving forward. Either they continue to uh, play above expectations and he's clearly the best catcher in the organization. And so it's in the best interest of the team's push towards the second wild card to call him up or they flame out and he's still the best catching catcher in the organization. And it's in their best interest to call him up and see how he does. Um, I do think projecting these guys and you can, you'd be better served at at speaking on this than I am, but it feels like projecting these guys jump from triple a to major leagues is getting harder and harder right now than it it ever has been just because of the disparity, both in how organizations view pitching in triple a and the different baseball and the elevations that are in play. I mean, we saw, um, we saw 
Jared, we saw Taylor Trammell, another outfield prospect for the Mariners, really struggle at the beginning of the season, then get sent down to AAA, where he immediately became an incendiary super. He did like the uh, Super Bowl Z thing, where he just uh, yeah. went Super Cyan and went absolutely yeah. insane and hit like eight home runs in a seven-game span. So it's really hard. I, I'm excited about Raleigh. I, I feel very confident in saying he's better than what they have right now, but I still think expecting a significant jump right away is maybe not super realistic, but he doesn't have to be significantly better to um, they, they need it. They need to get some fixtures in there and guys that they can feel excited about being there for the next three to four years, as opposed to just this organization still has too many positions that you look at and say, that's a placeholder. That's a placeholder. That's a placeholder. And it's time to start filling in those gaps a little bit. So I would say Raleigh after the all-star break, kind of at the latest, it feels like to me, Um, maybe early August at the very latest. Yeah, that's that. That makes sense. And I'll say this: I have Rally in my top ten uh, for fantasy prospects for the remainder of the 2021 season. So I do. I am a believer in that bat, and especially the positional value. Uh, as soon as he gets that call, if you're somebody who doesn't have one of those set it and forget it catchers like Will Smith or JT Real Muto, would definitely be taking a look at Rally. So let's end the show on a, a fun note and also a, a dour note, which is kind of the Mariner. Uh, Mariner way of life. Fun, ellipses, 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 question mark? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We are going to look at the worst trades in Mariner history, and we're going to have it do a draft of it. It's going to be similar to I had Grant Brisby do the Spoonerism draft. I had David Roth do the best names in the MLB draft. Nathan, (laughs) I'm going to let you uh, have fun, and I'm going to give you the first pick. uh, Oh, man. Worst trade in Seattle Mariner history. Okay, so I thought I went back and forth on when I was making this list. First of all, I should let people know we're not going to get through this. I got to 13 shockingly <laughs> fast. Uh, it did not take a lot. And I yeah. kind of went back and forth when I was uh, when I was putting them together. Is, do I talk about these from a purely analytical standpoint and like how much uh, award they acquired versus how much they gave up? And no, I'm just going to go off of like the ones that I view as the big disasters. So I'm going to lead it off uh, with the 1997 Seattle Mariners who uh, were a extremely fun. It was the uh, the peak of that uh, Griffey and Alex and Jay Buhner and uh, Paul Sorrento. I think they, they hit 240 home runs that year. They were the most powerful team in history. I could be a year off on that. They had a three-year span in the mid-90s. They were hitting home runs everywhere. But their bullpen was awful, and they were figuring they were trying to capitalize there. And so they acquired um, Heathcliff Slocum, a right-handed reliever from uh, the Boston Red Sox, who was bad in the majority of 1997 and had, yes. had been okay from 1994 to 1996. And in exchange for that and a year and a half of a slightly below average uh, major league reliever, the Seattle Mariners traded away Jason Veritek and Derek Lowe, who oh. you may have remembered from the last 15 years of major league baseball history as they went on to be fixtures in some of the greatest teams of uh, the current era. So that's my number one. Um, it really frustrates me uh, as I look back um, starting in about 2004 through 2000 through now um, with the Mariners having really bad teams and thinking how, how much they would have been helped by having Derek Lowe and or Jason Veritek on those rosters. Um, but there's plenty more where that came from. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be, that would have been my number one pick as well. I mean, it's funny because um, there was another trade made that year. Um, be, the Mariners traded Jose Cruz to the Toronto Blue Jays for Paul Splagerick and Mike Timlin. And at the time, that was the trade. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, what yeah. did they do? And yep. that trade didn't work out either. Um, no. 
not very very few of the Seattle Mariner trades. Don't trade prospects for relievers, hard. people. Yeah, it uh, and that one didn't work out. But to say that the uh, to say that that trade didn't work out, I'm looking here. Uh, Slocum had a combined a 0.6 WAR uh, for the Mariners. Those other two guys for uh, the Red Sox had 18.2 and 24.3. <laughs> so the Mariners lost 42 wins in value in that trade. Uh, my my first pick is going to be a trade that the Mariners lost 35 wins in war. And it is uh, probably the most infamous Seattle Mariner trade. Derek Bardard to the yep. Seattle Mariners for uh, Adam Jones, George Sherrill, Chris Tillman, Cam Michaleo and Tony Butler. Now, fortunately for the Mariners, Butler and Michaleo didn't do anything, but the other three did. And Eric Bedard, uh, just as as tantalizing as he was, as he would show absolute flashes of brilliance, it just didn't last very long. And look, Adam Jones didn't become a super duper star, which is the only right. reason why I think this isn't the number one trade. And Chris Tillman looked like he could be a top of the rotation guy for a little bit. Um, yep. And then George Sherrill was a, a decent little closer as well, but this could have been much worse. It, it's as bad as it was. And it was yep. bad. Negative 35.2 in terms yep. of war. It could have been worse. And this is one of the ultimate like trades are so funny. We judge them when they're made. We judge right. them for, we, we are constantly relitigating these things. And then we're always talking about in baseball, the idea of like, you can have your, your bad process, your bad result, bad process, good result, good process, bad result, good, good. This is the ultimate bad process, bad result trade. Cause it was stupid when they thought of it. Every single part of the thought process that went into it was a bad idea and they got absolutely what they deserved. And like you said, it could have been actually far, far worse. And that's not the slight Eric Bedard who had a perfectly fine above average major league career, good major league starter. Sure. But my gosh, the entire yeah. idea of that was yeah. just, it was, it was FUBAR as it gets. It was DOA. It was, there yes. was never anything that was going to go there. Uh, do I get another one now? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I am actually going to cheat just a little bit. Um, for my second one, I hope that the committee will allow me a little leeway here, but I'm going to take course. two one for one trades that were made within a week of each other nice. for the for the 2000 and I believe six Seattle Mariners who were bad and never did anything. No. Uh, and in back to back trades, the Seattle Mariners traded Shinsu Chu for Ben Brassard and Asdrubal Cabrera for Eduardo Perez, both oh. Eduardo Perez and Ben Broussard uh, quickly flamed out in Seattle. I think Eduardo Perez played a handful of games and then ended up retiring after yep. that year, whereas Ben Broussard was just bad and then bad for, I think, another year after that. In fact, Eduardo Perez in 36 games was worth negative 0.8 uh, FWAR, and uh, Ben Broussard was not much better. Meanwhile, uh, Azdrubal Cabrera and Shinsu Chu went on to uh, provide something in the range of 63 war, putting the Mariners <laughs> somewhere negative 60 in the bucket if i'm allowed to combine those two because it was a if i remember correctly they had no dh right and bill bavese um and his giant dome thought what if instead <laughs> of having no dh i had two bad ones and i traded two good prospects for it so oh, i'm gonna take that one as my second one that is totally fair and it's fair because like for those of you who aren't old enough to remember this they were they the mariners called these guys well I don't know if the Mariners did so much as social media did. They called him Ben Wardo because they were going yes. to be the answer. They were going to be the left-handed, right-handed uh, option, mm -hmm. sometimes playing first base, mostly at DH, and it did not work as well out at all. Speaking of first base, my number two is 
a trade that still hurts me, even though it happened when I was 12 years old. Uh, the Mariners trade Tino Martinez, Jim Sear, Jeff Nelson to the New York Yankees and receive Russ Davis and Sterling Hitchcock. Now, one of the reasons why this trade becomes even worse is, is because Hitchcock had one kind of middling year for the Mariners, and then they traded him for Scott Sanders, who was just awful. Like, mm-hmm. just a, a unusable starting pitcher. Uh, so, uh, the Mariners got Russ Davis, who was a, a below-average third baseman, a terrible defender. Uh, yes. But, you know, had some hit a little bit. Decent, decent pop. But Tino Martinez was one of the best first basemen in baseball for about a decade. Mm-hmm. And Jim Messier and Jeff Nelson were two of the best setup relievers in baseball, too. And, again, you have to think back to the Mariners, one of the reasons why that core we were talking about didn't get to where they needed to do was because their bullpen was so bad. And that trade basically is one of the reasons it necessitated to the, in their minds, the trade of Heathcliff Slocum. So this, this trade, it kind of started everything. It also, this trade happened right after the Mariners had won the division for the very first time and made the playoffs. So the very first thing we're basically seeing after this baseball team had been saved literally in Seattle, literally had been saved by this team was that they went cheap. Yep. And uh, a fun thing to do. And by fun, again, we're saying in the Mariners definition that we've already agreed upon earlier on this podcast is to take that 95 Seattle Mariners team that uh, I think oh. is probably for myself and yourself and all, all similarly middle-aged white dudes from the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> yeah. probably never going to top the, uh, the 1995 Seattle Mariners for nostalgia. You take that roster and then you look at the uh, immediately ensuing dynasty of the New York Yankees from 1996 through 2001 and notice yeah. how many of their key contributors were on that 95 Mariners roster. It makes you feel Absolutely. real good, Chris. Oh, makes you feel yeah. really good. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. uh, watching Luis Soho hit big time home <laughs> runs for the 1996-98 Yankees and Tino Martinez becoming a fixture and Jeff Nelson. Jeff Nelson, who now I, I think he views him for the longest time. He was a classic Mariners reliever and now sure. – Another guy who I think probably would say he's a Yankee, you know, that's when he looks back on his career. So one of many um, from that period, I'm going to go, uh, man, I am spoiled for choice for yeah. my next pick. I'm going to go it's more tough. recent. I'm going to go a little bit uh, off the board probably here because we have so many other ones, but I like taking a sleeper. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do probably um, if you're like me and not a, a huge Jerry DePoto fan, your uh your whipping boy trade is going to be the uh chris taylor for zach lee uh transaction yes. of 2016 this is a funny one because um jerry depoto in the uh in the mariners meta of the current day we we revise it so that when jerry depoto was hired after the 2015 season he inherited uh a barren roster um the one of the hardest positions to to win in all of sports. Um, and then it turned out that he had all of these really good minor leaguers. <laughs> he just didn't know it yet. And he already, and he traded him. Chris Taylor, uh, who I think it was before the 2015 season, uh, just lost, got hit in the hand in spring training and lost out on a, on a fierce battle for shortstop with Brad Miller, another quality major leaguer. The Mariners traded away from that era and, um, and then went down and then came back up early in 2016, right after Jerry DePoto was hired. And I remember he had one of the worst, like two days after he got called up, had one of the worst games I can remember. He went over, he made two incredible egregious errors like air mailed a ball into the fourth row of behind the first baseman and he was immediately shipped off for Zach Lee and it just kind of felt like one of those things where it was like wait but you, you, 
is are you trading him because he had one bad game? Like I, I know it's not that simple, but at the time it just kind of felt like this. That kind of feels vindictive. Everybody has a bad day. And sure. it wasn't so much this idea because at the time the Mariners had all this shortstop depth between Miller and Chris Taylor and then Cattell Marte, another quality major leaguer the Mariners traded away, but at least they got good guys back for that one. Sure. Um and it was uh it it just is that you had to trade him for Zach Lee. Uh, that's the re- the return is what kills that trade for me. It's not the yeah. idea of trading Chris Taylor. And I don't think any of us would have expected him to become what the wizards at the Los Angeles Dodgers incorporated turned him into, but um, to trade him for, uh, for Zach Lee just really stinks. And it still bugs me to this day. Yeah. I mean, look, I was a big Chris Taylor fan and I thought the Mariners as they did with many players kind of ruined the player development of that guy. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people forget Chris Taylor was really good upon his call up to Seattle. Yep. Like he was, yes, he, he was. He was and then uh, went through some struggles and the Mariners just did not have a player development system that was capable of helping a player through those. There's a lot of trades here that we're going to have to leave off, but I'll just mention a few. Uh, Kevin Mitchell for Dave Burba, Mike Jackson, yep. and Bill Swift. Uh, one of my all-time least favorite trades was uh, the Mariners trading Mike Felder and uh, Mike Hampton to get Eric Anthony. Uh, yep. uh, that was uh, not uh, the Mariners at their best. Uh, Carlos Guillen to the Tigers for Juan Gonzalez. No, not that one. And Ramon Santiago. Uh, yep. but yes, that third, one. <laughs> yeah, my third choice is one that I think if he keeps doing what he's doing right now is going to be higher if we ever do this redraft. And I hope we don't because it's, it, I was miserable yeah. just even talking about this stuff. But Adam Lind for Freddie Peralta is looking mm. real real bad i mean freddie peralta yesterday threw six innings of one hit baseball uh walked four but struck out 10 uh era of 2.11 right now i i hope adam lind is doing well but i'll tell you what he's not doing uh he is not helping the seattle mariners right now i mean nor look, did he help him while he was here that's exactly it and here's the thing um peralta was a talented but flawed pitcher uh when he was in the organization but even in terms of process and results, that was a bad trade. Like yep. the Mariners needed help at first base. And it's so funny talking about the first base position as a Mariner fan. The Mariners were spoiled for a few years. We went from Tino Martinez to Paul Sorrento to David Segui to mm-hmm. John Olerud to Richie Sexton. And look, Sexton obviously didn't work out at the end. But I'd kill for Richie Sexton production Absolutely. that we were getting at the, end of, at the beginning of his time with the Mariners. It has now become such a a problematic position for the Mariners. It, it is so so weird to see after, and it, it should be so easy, right? It's it is Ron Washington lied to all of us. It is yes, not he did. Incred- it is not incredibly hard, but yeah, I'm going with that one because look, right now Freddie Peralta looks like he might be an ace, and the Mariners gave up that ace for. I'm not even going to look up Adam Lynn's stats because I can't imagine how bad he hit they three. Are. I think he hit three walk-offs that year, but they were like <laughs> 75% of his hits. <laughs> and yes. then, you know, it's funny. We're talking, I'll sneak in one more under the gun here. I know we're under it, but I got one more. If we're talking about the first base position in the Jerry DePoto era. Yeah. Uh, and this one isn't necessarily the, the biggest faux pas talent wise, but I've got CJ Reifenhauser and Mark Trumbo for Steve Clevenger. Mark oh. Trumbo being the first baseman that, uh, that uh, DePoto inherited here in 2015 from Jackson Rizek. Trumbo, uh, a very fun but deeply flawed Major League Baseball player who had one skill, which was hitting a baseball very far, very, uh, very shipped far. out for a uh, catcher who didn't hit, 
Um, didn't play very good defense, but did uh, say some extremely <laughs> racist and problematic things very quickly upon arriving in Seattle. Oh. Thus launching, uh, uh, landing the first major controversy in Jerry DePoto's lap in his time in Seattle, but certainly not his last. Um, just kicking off, I mean, from there, it was, it's been a parade of errors at the first base position ever since. And uh, that's how you get, um, who have we had? Who have we had a first base this year and for the Seattle Mariners? It's, oh, it's been White's a lot. Been, Evan White's been uh, just a, uh, boy, that's, that we're is just one of, yeah. We're, that is... we're currently living on the Jake Bowers pixie dust train. <laughs> Well, on that positive note, that's going to do it for us. Nathan, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, please promote anything that you want to promote, sir. Sure. Um, so I write uh, and podcast at a Seattle Mariners website called domeandbedlam.com. Uh, also, if you feel like following me on Twitter, uh, it's at Nathan underscore H underscore B. Uh, and so you can read us there. We've been going for a couple of years. You will generally notice right more uh, when the Seattle Mariners do something bad. So not a lot of content right now for reasons we've already discussed. Sure. Yeah, I would recommend doing both. And again, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. I want to thank Nathan again, take a part. It was a lot of fun, even though there was a lot of negative to go with the positive. Uh, we will have a special guest again next Thursday to be determined. Uh, but stay tuned tomorrow for Mr. Short and Mr. Silva as they will try to match the magic of this show. I doubt they can, but they can certainly try. Again, you can follow Mr. Bishop on Twitter at Nathan underscore H underscore B. And you can follow me at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Shout out to underscores. We love our underscores. So thanks again. Please rate the show if you have a chance to do so. I've heard five stars is a pretty cool thing to hit. And if you have the opportunity to do so, to rate it in anywhere else, positive stuff. So stay safe and thanks again for joining us. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.